0: Yeah. So I I got back last Monday from Glasgow, Scotland, where COP26, COP stands for Conference of Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change was happening there. Uh goes on for two weeks. This is the first of those talks that have been held since the last one in Madrid in 2019. And it's a strange event. If anyone has Been there, or, you know, maybe for folks who have not been to um, one of these sort of godforsaken conferences, the setup is very strange because part of it is this kind of trade show looking thing. Um, It's divided into two zones. There's the blue zone and the green zone, which I believe they began doing. In the Paris climate talks in 2015. So the blue zone is where the negotiations happen and the green zone is a sort of civil society space but in recent years has become sort of a advertising venue for any number of companies to come in and sort of show things like uh electric monster trucks was one of the things on display at the green zone this year sadly did not see in person but that gives you a sense for sort of what's happening there and then there's a version of that that happens in the blue zone where the you know Serious negotiations are taking place that is kind of like a trade fair for national governments, uh, for, you know, nonprofits to just sort of show off their, their wares, uh, and give out free coffee. And so most of the like, you know, very flashy things happen in those pavilions where you can sort of see. I wandered into the Brazil kind of civil society pavilion at some point and the CEO of JBS was speaking uh, there is a trade association which which has a has a pavilion there every year where you know various BP executives will sort of come forth um but that is all pretty divorced from the negotiations themselves and I think that, Sort of distinction is in some ways the story of this cop, uh, because you have on one level very technical negotiations happening over the implementation of the Paris Agreement was why people are there. It was, you know, this was the biggest cop since, uh, since Paris, both in terms of sort of the content of what was being discussed and just physical people, right? There were something I think like 30,000 folks who Came into Glasgow for this, um, but the wow. UK government sort of ingeniously, um, did something which has not been done before, uh, at these cops. They layered onto the first week, which are normally very, very technical negotiations, even more so than, um, when they are generally. With these thematic days. And so every day you had these announcements, which were pretty divorced from what was, you know, what is actually happening behind closed doors. So there was an announcement on deforestation, uh, that something like a hundred countries are going to end deforestation by 2030. Uh, ostensibly there was the global financial alliance for net zero led by former Bank of England head Mark Carney, which got a lot of attention for ostensibly Uh, pledging $130 trillion worth of assets under management to take on the climate crisis, which is not a real number and does not really stand up to much scrutiny if you actually look at what the sounds great though. And it sounds great and is very distracting <laughs> from what, from what is actually happening. And so the two big items at the talks this year were, uh, finance, sort of along a spectrum from mitigation to adaptation to loss and damage. Um, you know, that was the sort of issue at, at, at Shears Cop as it was in Madrid in 2019. And then the, Uh, article six of the Paris Agreement, which is sort of meant to set up in large part a global carbon market. Uh, effectively, it is the only segment of the Paris Agreement, which deals with international collaboration, almost all of which articles 6.1 through 6.7 are devoted toward the creation of this carbon market. And article 6.8 is non-market, uh, mechanisms to coordinate how to crash emissions very quickly. So, uh, I would say that and if we want to get into specifics, um, we can. It gets it's very deep very quickly, uh, but you know, I, I would say it's not.
1: I was not- going to ask real quick if you don't mm-hmm. mind. Okay, in your book, you talk about the um, the way that trade and climate policy kind of parallels each other, and I was wondering if these the blue and the green zone and the fact that you know. The WTO and the trade uh, you know, organizations don't actually allow conflicts of interest uh, or people like VPs, CEOs from different industries like tobacco industry to influence and show up and, and have kind of throw their weight around, um, but they do at these climate talks. Is, are these zones places where that happens or how does that uh, actually manifest? I was curious.
0: Yeah, so the biggest single delegation to this year's COP were fossil fuel, people with fossil fuel. Ties. <laughs> which Perfect. corporate accountability international great, and global is found yeah this, don't, uh, don't worry greater than any single country united states you know european union block uh, so they are everywhere and there was is an that announcement because they yeah. know that the key the key to
1: climate change um, you know dealing with it is getting rid of fossil fuels is, is that why they showed up because they knew they were the culprits they wanted to help you know give up their industry and just seed it to other better green sources. That was nice of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just here to, to, to store the great transition. Uh, they, yeah, I mean, they've been coming to these things for years. Like, it's not it's not new, but their role, I mean, I think their role is, is a little bit complex, and, and the people you see show up for the most part are, like, the BP and the Shells, like, the European uh, majors, and then Total, any, you know, mostly, mostly Europe-based companies, like, even... I'm sure Exxon has some presence there, but they're definitely not as sort of big on the agenda. Um, but a couple of years ago, I, you know, attended one of these trade association pavilion events and, uh, CEO of Shell, not CEO, uh, an executive at Shell, um, sort of bragged about, you know, their having been responsible for getting Article 6 of the Paris Agreement into the agreement itself. And so, you know, they, they, have a lot of influence; <laughs> they can really throw their weight around. They're not official parties, right? They have an observer badge, like any number of sort of nonprofits or NGOs. Um, but they, you know, are around, and 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 certainly national delegations are are listening to them.
2: Yeah. So um, you you wrote a piece for the the New Republic about like what the what function the U.S. is you know, sort of what what is our negotiating posture over there? And basically, you're saying that there is uh, more commonality, perhaps, with the Trump administration than there is divergence. Um, uh, maybe that's too strong. But can, can you explain, like, what is America specifically doing over there?
0: Oh, no, that is that is almost verbatim what I heard from. A number of people that I talked to that there was, there's a lot of continuity between uh, the Trump administration's negotiating positions the Biden administration's negotiating positions, the Obama administration's negotiating positions. There is a real through line uh across U.S. administrations, wh- whoever is in charge about what we're actually arguing for there. And there was more sort of pop and circumstance uh, at, at this COP, obviously. And you had people like Jennifer Granholm and Pete Buttigieg, Tom Vilsack sort of walking around the halls like with scrums of cameras following them. Um, but the actual, you know, thing they were arguing for behind closed doors was pretty similar. I mean, one uh, delegate described the U.S. negotiating position on finance, which has been their big sort of block for a long time, as an immovable object, right? And specifically around this issue of loss and damage, making funds available for countries to be able to clean up uh, from climate-fueled disasters. And what I've heard is sort of the explanation for that beyond, you know, America's an empire, (laughs) if we want to, you know, get to the sort of crassest imagining of that. But um, for the US, there's a real fear that questions of historical responsibility will be brought up. And the US, of course, has the largest historical responsibility for the climate crisis. And they see some of the language that is used in conversations around loss and damage is a slippery slope toward having to pay that and so since you know essentially uh, I mean since Paris and, and since well before Paris any conversation about that either sort of a loss and damage fund any any mention of historical responsibility which was the sort of Basis in some ways of the Kyoto Protocol arrangement uh, has been really aggressively pushed, pushed off the table. And that was true. This time, you know, Todd Stern, Obama's lead negotiator famously said, if equity's in, we're out. And um, so there there isn't much change i mean one one of the members of the the us us negotiating team just told me you know we have a sort of technocratic approach um to these <laughs> negotiations which doesn't change very much what could trip. go wrong what could yeah. go wrong that's yeah. fine
1: yeah yeah Good. and well i don't know we're- i don't know if you heard kate that uh, some people in this country just a few don't like history especially <laughs> they don't really like Talking about what things we might have done in the past as a country to people i don 't know let 's call them people of color or to the world, and reparations scare people, so we should just avoid that, and maybe just technology will will save the day uh, and maybe through markets and technology uh, we could dig our way out i, I
2: wait that's, wait that's are <laughs> you are you invoking some kind of critical fossil fuel theory because that critical is fossil now...
1: fuel theory i 'm just saying that you have to look. <laughs> That's uh, the Critical way, Energy Theory. The way
2: th- Critical energy theory, that is illegal <laughs> to mention now in the state of Pennsylvania. We could be shut down by the Republican <laughs> Fry corps So I would appreciate it if you would not mention these controversial subjects. You know, we might trigger the conservatives and they'll come to my house with, with guns. That's the end of the preview, folks. If you want to hear the whole episode, you can go to patreon.com slash left anchor. Thanks for listening.